there's a person that made a really big difference in my life that was the former executive secretary in Arizona. And I remember when I was a national officer, I flew to Arizona to, to work at one of their camps and I was beat. I was completely worn out. And I know that we all can get like that, whether we're in college or whether we're a, currently a state officer or a national officer, or we're, it, we're in the workforce right now, we can get beat up. We just feel exhausted. It wasn't that I was beat up. It was just that I was tired. I was worn out. And I loved what I was doing. And I wanted to be with the students and the FFA members so much. And she told me, no. She said, you're going to go back to your room, your cabin, and you're going to rest. Because she saw how tired I was. And, and I'm like, no, I'm, I'm here to serve, you know, Mrs. Lawson, Miss Lawson. And she's like, no, you're going to go back and you're going to take care of yourself because you can't take care of others. You can't serve others until you've taken good care of yourself. In parliamentary procedure, a motion to reconsider allows us to bring back a matter that has already been voted on, even after the final gavel tap. Welcome to Reconsidered a podcast allowing us time to look back at the experiences, relationships, and skills gained through the FFA in order to make the most of our future. The final tap of the gavel has sounded. Let's explore a motion to reconsider. I'm Adrian, former state FFA officer from Oklahoma, and this is Reconsidered, our podcast series where we're working to uncover the value of our state FFA officer experiences and make the most of the next chapter of our lives. The change that comes with leaving FFA and moving on to those next chapters can be difficult, but it's also incredibly rewarding. Raquel Lacey Nelson, aka Rocky, is a past state and national FFA officer from the great state of Illinois. She has served in different capacities with companies like Kraft and Schwann's Foods, but now she works as a coach for companies and their executives to help them build strong teams and make successful transitions in leadership. Recently, we talked more about what transitioning from state office really looks like. So go ahead and take a listen. Hey, Rocky, how are you? I'm great. Thanks, Adrian. I'm so excited to get to have you on the show today, and I'm really excited for us to get to hear more about your experiences and some of the lessons that you've been learning. You are a former state and national FFA officer and have worked for quite a few different companies through the years. Tell us a little bit about what that's been like to serve in so many different capacities. That's a really good question. It, it has brought me such depth and breadth to my life, I'd say. Through all these different experiences, I've learned so much about myself. I've learned just as much about what I don't like as what I do love. And it's really allowed me to carve out a really pretty incredible, beautiful life that I feel like I'm living right now, that I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a board member, I'm a consultant, I'm an executive coach, I'm a change agent. And in all these roles and through all this, I, I have highs and lows, I have joys and sorrows. And each day I, I pray that God uses me as an instrument to shine his light through me and all that I do and then all the folks that, that I interact with. So when you look back on your FFA experiences and the way that you've gone about your career, how did your FFA experience prepare you for your career? Do, do you feel like it set you up for success? It absolutely did. I am incredibly 
grateful for 4-H and FFA. It absolutely, both of those organizations contributed to my success thus far. And I really think they continue to do so today and where I'm, I'm headed too. They've afforded me the opportunity to develop and hone in on some new skills like my public speaking skills. You know, it, it really helped me learn how to write and deliver a formal presentation. And so when I went to college, I felt like I compared to those that did not have that type of experience in a group or an organization like FFA or 4-H, I felt like I was, you know, leaps ahead compared to my peers in that communications 101 class. And it, it also gave me a network of incredibly smart folks. I, I was so blessed as a national officer and as a state officer to meet folks like President Bill Clinton and U.S. Secretary Mike Espy, Illinois Director of Ag Becky Doyle, the first female director in the state of Illinois, and so many other amazing leaders throughout our industry. And, and it's those connections that, that secured my employment ultimately at Pioneer Hybrid and craft and, and those networking skills that I developed through FFA that led to my employment at the Schwann Food Company and, and even today through my various consulting and coaching engagements that I have. It's definitely obvious to me that you are the kind of person that a lot of people look up to. And I know that sometimes it's kind of hard to find those, those mentors that we can um, admire and really be lucky to secure as a mentor. And I've heard you mentioned before that there was someone that you worked with early on that really took you under their wing. What did that relationship look like and how did it help you? So you think about all these people that you look up to. And what I found interesting as I was reflecting on this, I've asked folks to be my mentor in the past and they've turned me down. And I've learned through that, you know, they, they, they graciously did that. They were amazing people and they just didn't have the time and space and so forth to, to say yes. And then I've had folks that either fell into being my mentor or they accepted it with open arms. And folks like my grandma and my mom are amazing, strong women in agriculture. My grandmother, my grandfather, in fact, passed away in the 70s or early to mid 70s. And for 40 years there following that, she was the one making all the farming operation decisions. She wasn't the one necessarily out there driving the tractor all the time or the truck, but she was making the calls. The, the chemical sales reps, the, the seed salesmen were coming to talk to her. They weren't coming to talk to anybody else in the family that was, or the hired help or whatever that might be. They were coming to talk to her. And I learned so much about how she was successful in leading and managing a small farming operation, but how she led through difficult conversations and how she has, through until she recently passed away, offered some really sage advice to me on how to handle difficult conversations. My mom was one of a small number of women who graduated in accounting at the time and went on to become an auditor with the federal government. Upon marrying my dad, she took over the, the bookkeeping and the accounting work for the veterinary practice and has been a voice of confidence and support my life and really speaks life into me each day that I talk to her, whether that's through text or phone call or whatever that might be. Another person that has been really pretty instrumental in my life is a lady by the name of Debbie Huber Castle. She was an Illinois State FFA officer in the 80s. She's about 10 years older than I am. Um, her mom and dad were my 4-H leaders, in fact, and she served as 
uh, a chemical sales rep. She's a wife and mom of four, a co-owner and leader in their large farming operation in Northwestern Iowa. And she continues to come into my life and provide such great insights. Uh, Right now, she, in fact, where we're at in life is she has two in college, two still at home. And I have one about ready to go to college as well. And she's providing such great insight because she's walked that path before me and can can talk me through some of those highs and lows. But the one that you had mentioned was this gentleman that happened to be the CEO of one of my former employers. And, and he saw my potential. He took the time to listen to my interests and passions and my path that I had envisioned in my head that I wanted in order to achieve this vision I had. And he helped guide me along the way. He supported my career changes within the company. And he offered some sound counsel through several pretty challenging situations. He wasn't perfect. Um, neither am I, neither are really any of us. But I, one thing that really sticks with me that he was spot on with, that sticks with, with me today and sticks with my husband and I is this fact of developing and developing in partnership with others. And he and I had a lot of discussions because I was his right-hand person to developing the top 100 leaders in the company of this large company. And so he had very honest, you know, but, you know, confidential behind closed doors discussions about people, leadership development. And he was honest with me one day talking about how and why his first marriage failed. And he was an up and comer in a prior company, high potential. The company was investing in him a lot, moving him around, investing in his development, but his, his spouse was not. And it, tore them apart ultimately in the end. And he committed that when he would have that opportunity to influence that moving forward, that, and that's what he imparted on me was that we want to invest in the development of not just this high potential leader that's employed and gets a paycheck from our company, but we want to develop in that partnership, their partner, their spouse, so that they're developing jointly. And my husband and I think about that a lot so that we are growing together, not growing apart in um, our path forward. I love that concept, developing in partnership with others. When we think about that concept, if you think back that year of being a state officer and that transition out of state office into what was next for you, or maybe that transition out of national office, do you think that there were ways that, you know, if you had known that sooner, developing in partnership with others, that you could have kind of implemented that into those transitions? You know, that's, you're right. Absolutely. You don't have to do it alone. And I think we as, especially women, I think sometimes we feel like we have to, to show that we are independent. We can do this. I am, you know, I'm strong and I can do this. And, and just because you ask others for help or that you look to do that in partnership doesn't mean you're weak or that you're lesser than. And what I've learned and what I use in a lot of the transitions that I help with executives and folks high potentials that are moving up in the organization through their transitions is exactly that. Do not assume that you have all the answers. Do not assume that you can jump right in and start making decisions and barking out orders and making clear, hey, I'm the leader and I have all all of it under control and that that I have all the answers ultimately, that I've been there, done that, and so it's kind of a copy and paste what I've done before and I can just apply it here, that it is doing it in partnership with others 
that servant leadership that's growing together because you get this incredible empowerment and buy-in when you are doing it with others versus dictating or telling them. And so the way that we do that is oftentimes what I, I help folks to think about is thinking about their learning agenda and defining what's the approach that I'm going to take to listen and learn the lay of the land when I'm transitioning into you know, the next stage of life or the next role or the next company that I'm moving into. It's listening to what people are saying and what's not being said and observing how things are getting done and not getting done and engaging folks in that process, assessing the situation and the environments, what's going on, what are the biggest needs, looking for pain points, identifying where I or the person that I'm working with can help and add the most value, looking for ultimately what I call to them as low-hanging fruit or early wins. Because once you can identify where there's a need and where you can help to match what skills you have can help fulfill that need, it, it really gets you on a nice path forward. It starts a nice spiral up where you feel like, hey, I'm contributing, I'm adding value and the organization or the group that you're a part of mutually feels the same. So in your role on a regular basis, you help a lot of your clients making that leap into new roles successfully, working with them to lead their team or their organization really well. You've mentioned that you do some coaching. What are what are some of the big lessons that you think are the most important lessons that you get to share with your clients on a regular basis? It's don't assume and and ask the big questions. If you add on to that, it's in, in, by doing that, you're engaging others along the way and not assuming that you then have all the answers. So when folks come in making assumptions, they, they don't really listen well. They don't observe what the needs are, understand the environment thoroughly. If they, they don't ask those big questions, it's interesting, they, those big questions will often lead to you know, some pretty incredible insights. Most definitely. With those clients who were transitioning from one role to another and from your experience of transitioning out of state office and national office, there are lots of times when people don't do that successfully, but there are so many that do it really, really great. What are some of those traps that people can fall into easily if they aren't careful? I think one of them is that um, they assume, which is back to that assumptions, that because they were successful in their last job or their last opportunity, mm -hmm. they can just repeat that um, and they'll be successful in this next situation or job opportunity or whatever that might be. Of course, there's things you can leverage. And that's why oftentimes you're selected to be the, the student body president next or because they're, wow, you were this national FFA officer or the state FFA officer. Therefore, you should be best to, to serve in this, this great capacity or to serve on this board or whatever that might be. Um, and they, you want to leverage those strengths, but some of those strengths sometimes can be overused and some sometimes some of our minor flaws can end up being um, great problems or concerns. And it's important for us to, 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 to think about that ultimately. So I think about, let's just say networking. And if you're really good at building networks, like I talked about earlier, if you take that and overuse it, you can ultimately be viewed as one-sided or manipulative and only wanting to network with folks for your own advantage. Or if you're really good at driving results and making things happen, 
if you overuse it, you could do, you could drive for results without taking into consideration ultimately people or teams or processes or ethics or norms or whatever that might be. And you might push too hard. And ultimately it's about your achievement versus, you know, the group or the team or the norm that's been established. When we're working to continue to, to leverage maybe those previous experiences that we've had and we're working to continue understanding our strengths and also our weaknesses, how can we help from letting our flame go out in terms of having that drive for pushing ourselves to that next level? That's a good question. I've struggled with that myself. And probably one of the times that I struggled with the, the most was probably about 10, 11 years ago. And I was spent and I've been at that place at different times before. I remember being at that point in college right after national office. Um, I remember being at that point just probably two years ago as well. But the worst was probably about 10, 11 years ago. We had had one child. We had unfortunately lost two children and had one another on the way. And my husband was traveling a lot. I was volunteering at church, community school, you know, you name it, I'd say yes to it. And I had given my career at that point everything. I, I, to folks that looked at it from the outside, they'd be like, wow, she's got it all. And my career, I was traveling back and forth from, from one part of Minnesota to Minneapolis, sometimes daily on the company plane, running really long hours. I was on a really nice, fast track with the company. I was a high potential, and my body just basically gave out. Um, and I think it was God who shook me and said, you got to listen here. You know, it, it, finally, you know, if you're not going to listen to these other messages here, I'm just going to kind of shake you. And it's, it's importantly, just incredibly important to be introspective and be intellectually honest with yourself is what I realized. It's really difficult to do this alone. Once again, this partnership comes up again. And in fact, I don't think it's possible to do it alone. It's important to surround yourself with a small group of trusted confidants who love you unconditionally and will be honest no matter how much it hurts to call you out. And at that time in my life, 10, 11 years ago, it was my doctor, it was my mom, it was my mentor, Debbie, it was my husband, and a few other really close friends that came into a really tight circle of truth with me. And I spent a good year after that learning how to say no. And yes, I passed up on some really nice, great opportunities, but I learned how to say no so I could learn how to be more strategic about saying yes. And that's one step in figuring out how to not let your flame go out, I think, is yeah, is that. Learning how to say no so that you can say yes, yes. when it matters. Yes, <laughs> when it matters, exactly. Yes. And when when that happens, I don't know if there's something that you would add on to this. When that happens and you find yourself in that in that rut where the flame has gone out, you you're in a not so great place, how how do you recommend that they get out of that and get back into the game? Is it is it relying on those friendships and those those confidants who are willing to shoot you straight on the the hard things? I think you're right. It's, it's when you have to be really, like I said, intellectually honest with yourself to recognize that you're at a place that you're not getting excited by the things that excited you the same and being able to step back, reflect, surround yourself with folks that can be really, you know, that be in your circle of truth when you need it and 
start asking yourself those tough questions of what's going on here that's making me feel this way? Do I need to make a change? And that's often the case is that you need to make some kind of change. And that could be stepping off a board. It could be stepping into a different role with the or an organization you're with. Um, but identifying what's really going on inside so that you can't. And, and I've had to do that. I had to step away from a, a wonderful career trajectory and walk away from it so that I could have the life that I have now. And at that time, it was a really tough decision, but my flame was running out. And we have to just put our faith in, in me. It was putting my faith in God that there's something greater and better ahead. It may not be happening tomorrow, but being okay with making a change. Mm -hmm. And making that change to allow for that, that flame to reignite, so to speak. Absolutely. It's definitely an exciting time to be transitioning out of state office and away from that chapter for, for a lot of state officers, that's a huge piece of their life and is a huge piece of their identity. And when we make, when we make this transition now and for those transitions in the future, if you would say there's one thing to, to really keep in mind with each of those role changes, what would be like the, the one piece of advice that you'd say we need to keep in mind? I hope it doesn't sound like I'm harping on the same thing. It's this book that continues to resonate with me that I read years ago. And I and it's called What Got You Here Won't Get You There by Marshall Goldsmith. And I had the opportunity when I was with one of my former employers to to meet and spend time with over a couple period couple days, Marshall. Um, he's a preeminent executive coach. Um, I think he's since retired. And I love the book, remembering that just because I was really good at what I did and I'm being recognized for that in what I'm headed for next, doesn't mean I can just copy, cut, paste, and re repeat it ultimately. That I leverage what some of those things, I learn from some of the mistakes that I made, and I, and I take that moving forward, yes, but I really don't walk in assuming that I can just plop it in and use those same things and that I'm going to be successful, that I really listen and observe and learn. And, and I do that in, in even the volunteering that I do, not just the consulting and the coaching, obviously you automatically think, of course, you have to have great listening skills and learning skills and so forth. But I do that even in all the volunteering and the boards that I sit on. And I, I step back and I listen and I, I observe and, and look for the need and figure out what do I have that helps support that need. I think that's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Rocky, for your time. Um, we really, really appreciate it. You're very welcome. It was an honor. Thank you so much for having me. Are you setting yourself up for success with how you're approaching this transition from state office? As Rocky mentioned, remember to ask the big questions. Don't assume anything. Surround yourself with supportive confidants and learn to say no to things so you can learn to strategically say yes to the things that matter. You can check out more reconsidered resources online or talk to your state staff for more guidance on using the skills we gain during our state officer experience. 
Thanks for listening in. We hope to have you back next time as we keep reconsidering what our state officer experience can do for us in the years to come.